At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. This is Isabella Olympic here at the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. Guess what? You guys are for a treat. I have someone that absolutely has so much accomplishments in wide range of industry and professions. Yep, you heard me right. And is always able to land well, pivot, and create tremendous success from ranging working with Fortune 500 companies and also very strong entrepreneurial background, but also background in legal, um, mental health, health, um, you range social services, I mean, you name it, and the large Fortune 500 companies, but definitely always played heavily in technology space. And without further ado, I will let him share all of the things I actually miss purposely. Um, let me introduce you for Jeffrey Hertzfeld. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Isabella. Absolutely. It's absolutely great to have you here on Legacy Leader Show because what we're always looking is for leaders that can tell us not only what's currently going on, but also what was the pivotal moments in their career and their trajectory and their growth. Because both of us know, Jeffrey, that a lot of leaders are having a lot of challenges. It doesn't matter how seasoned they are, right? Yeah, absolutely. And part of our conversations for some time now has been about what a good company looks like versus one that's challenged constantly and, and not being able to move the dial very much. Correct. And before we dive into that, Jeff, okay, so you and I know each other for at least decade, decade and a half. And through that time alone was tremendous transformation in both of our careers and personal lives. But prior to that, you had so many wide range of experiences. Just walk us through some of the really uh, contrasting roles that you had and, and, and how you were able always effectively pivot because a lot of people I'm sure are struggling right now with that. Sure, I'll do my best to uh, make this concise, which means we'll, we'll be finished in about uh, 24 hours. So having said, <laughs> so, so having said that, you know, I, I'd like to first state that um, as, as we go through and walk through kind of, you know, the, the places I've been and how I got there, most of it was not intentional. So while I always counsel people to live their life with positive intent, um, and have a life plan and a direction. Uh, we have to be prepared for the unknown, which is amazing. It's it goes without saying that you know this is this is a paradox of the highest order because we're saying that we're going to plan our lives out, and yet we have to plan for the unknown, which is you know virtually yeah. an oxymoron. And so you know one of my uh, uh, favorite expressions is. Um, uh, an old Yiddish expression, although I'm not Jewish, I love the expression. Um, it's man plans, God laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> sure, very, very true. 
And, and there's, yeah, there's irony on multiple levels there. So that, that really does describe a lot of what I went through. So um, I've gone through two recession layoffs in my career, hopefully not a third coming up. Um, I have fired the founder and president of a company that uh, and that individual hired me and then I had to downsize my own position. And, um, you know, I, I just recently gone through a COVID related termination. So, you know, these things are typically not things that you can plan for. But to your point, and at the beginning of the conversations, like, you know, how do you how do you respond to you know adversity or or changes in your plan or changes in your life so you know we can talk a little bit about that but certainly you know you you uh, among other people uh, uh more than most people understand you know what that looks like and probably more so than i do um so i started out my career um and and i like to say that i've had a lot of life adventures <laughs> and you know my career is one of those adventures but but uh you know those ad adventures sometimes they're common you know adventures that a lot of people go through so you go through you know college or grad school or some of that those are adventures in and of themselves lots of experience and learning um changes in career a marriage a divorce children recessions that sort of thing and then some more you know less common and you know, we've we may or may not get to some of those, but for me, that involves uh, forays into Panama, Morocco, and Argentina, <laughs> and Mexico, and you know some other places. Um, that's, but, that's fantastic. Seems like a, so far an extremely life where we lived. But what is interesting thing is, uh, you played quite a bit in legal uh, field originally, and and do you mind just sharing a little bit how do you stumble upon that career path and and what you dealt with and one of the most crazy experiences that you actually have that I just learned recently. Well, I'm not sure which one that is, but there's so many to choose from. Um, you know, I, I had been gravitating probably since grade school um, into the legal profession. I think, um, uh, and I went to a parochial school growing up, and so I had nuns. <laughs> and I remember, I think I was in sixth grade or something along that nature, and and uh, this teacher that I had uh, told me that I was going to grow up and be a lawyer. And I said, well, how do you know that? And she said, you talk a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so apparently that was, you know, somewhat set in stone from an early age. But uh, ultimately, I you know, went to college, gravitated towards political science, ended up doing internships at the uh, state capitol in Denver, Colorado, uh, as well as doing an internship in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. And subsequent to that, ended up going to law school. And um, most of the opportunities that I had to work in the legal space were in the criminal justice arena. So I ended up uh, determining that I was going to, you know, put on my white hat and, you know, go fight crime. So that's what I did for a while. Um, strangest stories, boy, I'm not sure I can tell any of those um, on, on video because most of them were rather gruesome because most of what I dealt with was violent crime. And you dealt with some of the most violent crimes here in the state of Colorado and as an attorney, attorney general, right? Uh, district attorney for one of the judicial districts of the state of Colorado. Each, each state you know, divides their various jurisdictions differently. Colorado 
um, for its district attorney separates those into judicial districts. So I was basically in the northern part of the Denver metro area, which you know, uh, job, job security was high in that area, let's put it that way, because uh, crime never rested. <laughs> so. It's unfortunate that we have to joke around, but I also find the truth that, that even in the current times, we're seeing such an increase of crime. But you also being involved in gladiator school. Do you mind for everybody watching and listening? Tell us a little bit about that experience. That's the experience well, I was referencing, because that really paints the picture of what you have to endure early on and, and how then now you pivoted in so many different directions, uh, which we'll get in a second too. Well, uh, just just to be clear, the uh, I, I think I know what you're referencing to. It was the time that I, um, uh, I I occasionally joke and say to tell people just to see what the reaction is that I spent time in prison, and uh, while that's true, context is important. <laughs> yes, it is. Both of us spent time in prison, but not as a locked individuals as a criminals, which is a fortune. I mean, which is fortunate, but it's also unfortunate that we had, that it was a need, such a tremendous need to be involved in that capacity. So I actually ended up having to go to um, what you call what you um, have, and I labeled, and that's why you get the name Gladiator School, uh, one of the most uh, notorious prisons in the state of Colorado, which was home to, um, and then you have to use parentheses when you talk about gladiator school, it wasn't actually a school. It was basically though where hardened violent criminals would go and you know the, the term gladiator school was because they basically had to survive among other violent criminals. And uh, that always made it somewhat, uh, you know, uh, incombustible type of uh, experience. But I ended up going into that prison in order to interview um, one of the, one of the uh, inmates at the time uh, relative to some allegations he had made about uh, police corruption in the Denver metro area. So that was an interesting experience and many, you know, another adventure uh, along. Uh, most people have not uh, spent any time much less significant time uh, within the walls of a prison. And uh, I'm here to tell you that most people wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> so, so that's my, my public service comment for the day is don't do crime, don't go to prison. A great advice, specifically as many people are trying to have a shortcuts to things that they wanted to get to. Those shortcuts definitely are not worth it, taking the risk and getting on the opposite side of the law, right? So exactly. with that in mind, obviously, you, you put so much a great uh, work and not only to keep Colorado stay, safe and obviously support some initiatives on national level, but what you did is you also helped with something on international level with humanitarian efforts uh, from disaster and reliefs and supports and, and whatnot. So, which also brings out uh, your humanitarian side because you've seen bad ugly, right? And then also, to my understanding, you did some efforts in Haiti and some some fundraising and continue to really support and understand um, the landscape and ever so changing politically, economically uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, there was, a, it, we haven't, we haven't really talked about a timeline or, you know, how I moved from the district attorney's office elsewhere. But uh, in that timeline, I did some consulting and uh, was involved in, um, in the Angel Investment Partnership, 
And as part of that partnership, uh, I had my partner had significant contacts both in the IT world and in the entertainment world. And we connected with uh, a well-known uh, personality uh, singer. And uh, that particular individual had a strong interest in, in helping. Um, at that time, Haiti had gone through another one of its uh, hurricanes. And unfortunately, that's something they get semi-regularly or, or more often than not than some other locations. And so we were putting together um, a proposal to do a fundraiser, which involved um, you know, a number of singers who this particular personality knew in the industry and who were going to volunteer their time. And these things have been done in the past. I, uh, I'm reasonably certain that people have heard of the, you know, I think Bruce Springsteen was involved in one or more of those several years ago. And so that was the idea. Um, unfortunately, you know, we had not gotten as far, we, we didn't get as far as we wanted to in that, but we did, you know, participate in, in trying to uh, connect some of the, the folks on the ground in Haiti with, you know, we, we looked at, you know, water, uh, you know, potable water, we looked at tents, we looked at a number of things and we're able to provide, you know, information and contacts um, to assist those people. Um, relative to other um, international forays, those tended to be more business oriented and, and most of the other, I'm gonna say, um, volunteer uh, work was mostly in this country. Mm. And it's so interesting, like when I when I look at and listen, it's like how it's important that all of us can make a difference if we put our skills to the good use, right? So with that in mind, Jeff, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about, so when you decided to transition from obviously legal side of the work and cons then into consulting, you did something really interesting afterwards. What did you get yourself into? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an open-ended question, and, and there's many avenues we could go down, but I'll just say that, you know, one of the reasons, or probably the primary reason I left the district attorney's office was uh, I had been involved primarily in violent crime cases, and it became apparent over time that I was seeing people at their worst. So I would deal with, um, you know, victims of crime, rape victims, I would deal with uh, the families of murder victims, and clearly, you know, I had to deal with on another entirely different level with the, the people who perpetrated these crimes. Uh, in addition to that, I, um, in my, this is still in my 20s, I was um, supervising homicide scenes and uh, attending autopsies. And so the bulk of the work um, is primarily focused on the negative side of life. Now, granted, you know, I always believed that what I was doing was helping people you know, ultimately helping people by taking the, these uh, bad actors off the street so that they wouldn't harm anyone else. But it, it became wearing and, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I became pretty jaundiced about people in general and perhaps mm -hmm. life at that point um, because, you know, most of the people who I was working with had, you know, very little concern for, you know, people's lives other than their own. So having said that, I made a decision, and one of the one of the few points in my career where I actually made a conscious decision and followed through on it to leave that. And, and ultimately, my my intent at the time was to do transactional work or put deals together. You know, two people who wanted to be in the room as opposed to the ones that were one of them was forced to be in a room. <laughs> so um, uh, ended up moving into. Um, 
commercial real estate, which is a big transition, but not so much if you think about it in terms of negotiating deals, putting documents together, and um, ultimately consummating transactions. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, you know, my timing wasn't particularly great there, and, and I, will, I will say that timing is important in, in all life decisions. And sometimes we know what that looks like, and sometimes all we can do is make the best estimate based upon information available at the time, our life experiences, and you know, perhaps even just our intuition. Sometimes that works well. Sometimes there's another plan that that becomes more apparent over time. Yes, and that's so true because unless you try it, you don't know it, right? And then all of that has been a lot of, uh, as they say, trial and error and preparation for something greater. And ultimately, when you find yourself uh, and lending in IT space, and also as we as we talked earlier, like you're fluent in five languages, uh, so team one is closing <laughs> to others. Yeah. What that means, and where the fluency came in because of allowing yourself to be so diverse. So, do you mind sharing that? that language scope uh, so others really can understand how important is it like you have a legalese legal side of the world right in the business then you have a general business and and and, and conversations around uh regulations and policies depending which industry also um then you're so versed in it arena so please extend all right so as i you know, and it varies from time to time when I think about this, but as I see it, I probably worked in five different industries with at least 10 different functionalities to, mm -hmm. to identify some of those industries. So we've talked about criminal law, commercial real estate. Uh, I've been involved in uh, building an early stage franchise company and taking that international um, environmental remediation management. I helped build um, a fee-based consulting company within the engineering space. Uh, IT business operations, supply chain, et cetera. So all of these came about uh, through essentially opportunities and challenges, which are essentially just flip side of the same coin um, that you know have occurred in my career. And I, I mentioned earlier that uh, you know some of this was intended. Uh, some of this was my making decisions at a sure. particular point in time. Um, and and it's it's funny we talk about you know being fluent in multiple languages because I know you are I believe in six my languages are a little different than yours mine relate to industry so I can speak uh, tech some people might call it geek I can speak legalese I can speak idiomatic English I can speak you know supply chain and I can speak management <laughs> so so we could probably go on and more and more but but you know I kid a little bit about that um, you know, joke about that because it's critically important for business leaders to be able to have a broad-based background in order to effectuate positive change within their organization. And whether it was initially um, my intent to be so broadly scoped or not, that's that's where the skill sets have ultimately you know come to to lay. And so um, you know we we tend to we hopefully you know people get involved in organizations and, and businesses that will uh, be in areas that they enjoy and with people that they enjoy but that's as you know not always the case so you you develop that experience uh, you know you out of the you know hopefully uh, some good comes out of the bad 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That's that's great because one of the things that I'm seeing also obviously is um, and right now for everybody watching and listening, people are going through jumping from different industries. They're not sure how their skill sets are being transferable, let alone from different degrees and different backgrounds. Right? It's like how do you transfer into the low and then and also. Uh, and, and typical, much more uh, consultative driven uh, business arena, or where you also play huge um, pivotal role in operations of the company and changing the culture or very global scope of the teams and leaders uh, with different types of problems or issues and how all these skill sets build. And a lot of times we do not clear because path is not always linear. We know that, but, but the skill and knowledge that we accumulated over time makes tremendous difference. So with that in mind, obviously you did some really huge international also uh, efforts uh, um, I believe some interesting things you did in Panama and other parts of the world. Do you mind sharing some really most satisfying projects you've been involved and what was the instrumental, no matter which role you've been in or company, since you've targeted a lot of Fortune 500, build programs that never existed, uh, secured financially stability of those programs and exponential growth. Uh, and then also used uh, a great talent pool to elevate him and let him run and do what they're good at it. What would you say was the crucial thing for you to be successful as a leader in any of those roles? You know, that's an excellent question. Um, one I pondered for multiple years, <laughs> probably for most of my career. You know, I'm, I was thinking about that earlier today even, and I thought, you know, the, the uh, kind of the parable I, I thought about was back in, in school, my school years, um, you know, who are the most effective teachers? And at, at, its, at its core, some of leadership is, is that teaching component um, and leading component. And I thought, you know, sometimes you have to go through, you know, challenges in order to grow. I would say most times you need to go through this challenge in order to grow. And some of the best teachers that I had at various points in my educational career um, were those that had been in the workforce and done different things. And so they brought a, a greater depth of understanding, I think, into the human condition is in terms of uh, motivation, in terms of you know, ability to break through, if you will, um, and have some you know, meaningful dialogue or impact upon people's lives. And I try to bring that um, as a result of all these crazy things that I've done. And, and I can address a couple of those specifically, but I wanted to first, you know, answer the, what I view as the main thrust of your question, which is how do you develop leadership skills and how do you know, you know, how do you apply those? And, and given the, the vast numbers of personalities and industries and all that, I, I still think that there are um, certain tenets that ring true no matter, no matter where you're at, um, whether that's, you know, cultural or whether that's, um, you know, industry or whether that's function, you know, people generally I've found over my career want to be appreciated. They want to be, feel like they're being productive and have some impact upon the organization. Uh, I think that if you look at the things that drive people to jobs, number one, I think perhaps is compensation, which is perhaps no surprise, but I think number two and subsequently 
you get into much more interesting issues and so or not issues but factors and some of those factors and we've addressed those uh, or i've addressed those briefly you know some of those is you know is is what i do within the organization making an impact on the organization am i am doing productive work or am i just you know marching in place you know how am i uh, being uh, treated by management am i being provided opportunities to grow within the organization my skills and you know my ability to um, you know again affect the organization so i think all of these are critical and, if you, and many leaders unfortunately or people who have the title um, uh, ceo or or you know a leadership position um, quite honestly seem to be driven by other motivations rather than raising their company or raising their people within the organization. I try to focus on both. That's fantastic. So for everybody watching and listening, and again, Jeffrey just shared his success. It's not when we were so preoccupied, specifically in America on the bottom line, we neglect people and people are the ones and teams that will propel company forward. And if we don't focus on that side as well, the scales get offset. And that's why we've seen some really unusual trends. So with all the wealth of information and knowledge and experience you've been through, what are you really seeing going on in current time and what it's maybe shocker to you or why you were, or maybe something that you were just like, oh my God, no brainer because I'm seeing this and it's kind of cyclical. We'd love to kind of compare and contrast a little bit. Do you mind sharing some of your insight there? <laughs> well, uh... Uh, I will try to avoid uh, the political side of that conversation, but I will just say that it's it become, you know, uh, if you if you think about the impact COVID has had, uh, yes. it's not it's not simply um, you know about the physical health, um, but we've seen tremendous um, effect upon the mental health of workers throughout the world. Quite honestly, not just the United States. And the ones who have suffered the most are where the lockdowns have been most severe. So um, what we're seeing is that people are in fact, you know, social creatures and they, they you know, a lot of people and, and particularly children are affected by the, that inability to socialize. What we're also seeing is um, something which has accelerated. I think it's began before COVID, but has accelerated because of COVID, which is this work from home concept and so now this hybrid work model uh, seems to be moving towards a more standard approach, at least on the services side. I mean, clearly, if you're in a manufacturing industry or an assembly uh, line type of industry, that's not going to work. But for many, many people, um, part, part of their jobs can be done from home. And that's, that's created, um, I think, still a, a, an ongoing conflict or let's just say an ongoing tug of war where you know some companies are looking for people to come back and you know full-time some understand that maybe that's a hybrid and there are other you know there are employees that just have made a determination in their own mind that they will only work from home and and not go into an office which that impacts if you think about it that impacts not only the employer employee relationship but it affects you know commercial real estate how much you need as an organization it affects uh, you know, your, your planning and, and your budget. I mean, so it has a massive impact upon the world. And, and there is, you know, we've seen a certain level of dissatisfaction 
um, I think has raised its head so that it becomes more apparent because of mm -hmm. COVID as well. So certain trends that were, I think, already in place have been accelerated. And I think that's probably the biggest change I've seen. Mm. Thank you for sharing that your perspective, obviously, because you worked also for many Fortune 500 companies and some of them actually Fortune 100. But what's interesting is you also uh, brought up really great points earlier, how when certain leaders that have a title and have a position, yet they miss huge opportunities. And something that also uh, gives you, do you have authority or do you have a, you know, it's like we have also this dance right. between who is authorized to make a decision, who is the accountable for that or not, or should be, right? And how that dance really is affecting not only changes that are needed, but also really excellent talent that is capable, able to do the work, but they don't have that opportunity or authority to do so. Yet they're put in those positions where they deal with them on ongoing daily basis and how that can really reversely affect not only performance, morale, but uh, people desiring to stay. So do you mind sharing how do you see that perspective? Yeah, thank you. And, and, and you know you're speaking to my heart there because that's a, that's a long-term issue that I've um, had to deal with personally and professionally as well. Um, one example, probably one of the, the most productive and enjoyable positions I've held. I worked for... Um, and I think I don't think there's any problem saying the name. So I worked for um, a division of General Motors at one point, yes. um, but more on the finance side, um, be more specific on the mortgage side, mortgage lending side. And uh, I had worked, uh, I did two iterations with GMAC, one in um, and, and had gravitated towards what they called the builder program. So my customers and clients were the largest national home builders and resort developers and um, GMAC killed that program after a couple of years while I was there. And so I wandered around. Um, I, I used to say I wandered the desert, but people you know, took offense at that. <laughs> so so uh, I, I, wandered, I wandered a bit and uh, uh, found my way ultimately to uh, Wells Fargo and built a business organization for them from scratch uh, that was successful. And now it compressed four years. And then GMAC came back to me and said, we've reinstituted a version of this program and we'd like you to run a, a region for us. And we went back and forth for probably six months because I didn't want to have that rug pulled out from underneath me again. And, and I got there uh, after I agreed to go to, you know, take on a, a nine state region for them and found that while there was product we could offer into the marketplace, there was very little operational infrastructure. Mm. And, you know, so for many people that would have been, you know, a hard no, a hard stop. It's like, you know, yeah. you, you promised me this new program that had been in place for nine months. I have certain, you know, expectations and those expectations haven't been met because, you know, there's no business plan. There's no marketing plan. There's no marketing content. There's no uh, sales targets in the sales organizations. There's no selection criteria for people who are coming in. There's no training, et cetera. I loved it quite honestly. And it enabled me to employ um, a multitude of skill sets. And uh, I was provided with the authority. So to, to, you know, analogize here a little bit, you know, there's people talk about, you know, being in a tight news or the, you know, at, at uh, 
Wells Fargo, you know, when I got there, the noose was sort of around my neck and, and kind of ultimately landed on my shoulders, which was a good thing, you know, because it, it enabled me greater, uh, you know, flexibility and, and liberty to do things that I needed to do. At GMAC, that noose went away pretty much after the first year. And so um, I helped build that operational infrastructure. I helped train people. I close business deals, I wrote the business plan, et cetera. So one of the things that has you know, been very noteworthy both before and subsequent to that experience is, is looking at the relationship between your expectations and your job requirements, uh, that is to say what you have responsibility for versus how much authority you're provided at the front end. And if those aren't in balance, it's been my experience that the culture in the organization is not going to be a healthy one. So if those who have the titles, the highest titles within the organization take the least amount of responsibility and those who have the most responsibility are the ones who are doing the work in the field, but they're not provided with the authority to make those changes, you're not going to have a healthy culture. So, you know, that's one of the learnings I would take away and, and one that I've kind of been beating the drum on for quite some time now, as you know. And it's unfortunate, and I'm glad you shared that because we've seen the pattern and we've seen what it needs to be done. As you pointed out, years of experience, different company, different stages of their evolution or transformation or change. And then in the same time, we're running in situations where we're seeing uh, that, again, it's not the lack of knowledge, it's not lack of a competent talent, but yet it's very different results because unablement for them to do that. And with that in mind, what would you recommend for all the leaders that are listening, either our smaller fast growing enterprises to Fortune 500? Um, where do you see some huge opportunities for them? Because obviously, um, with wealth of knowledge and experience that you have, you're seeing also in current landscape some of these patterns that are keep coming over and over again. You know, I think that it's easy to fall into patterns of behavior uh, just as human beings. And I think that people who have been in leadership positions for a long time are not immune to that. That being said, uh, I think all of us, you know, humans, every human probably needs some time for introspection, introspection uh, in terms of where we are and what we want to achieve. And if in fact, um, you know, as um, one of my more um, dogged books uh, written by Jim Collins, my business books, uh, you know, Good to Great and, and you know, some of the other books that uh, Jim has written, you know, it's, it's this concept of sublimating your ego to the good of the organization and to the good of the people within the organization. And quite honestly, I think they're inextricably intertwined. In other words, if you don't hire the best people, if you don't support your people, if you don't give them opportunities to grow within your organization, why are you there? You know, yeah. from a from a management, I, I see just terrible management at probably the majority of companies for whom I've consulted or uh, worked myself. And I, I would say that the majority of companies don't get it right and that there's an amazing opportunity for organizations and for leaders of organizations who want to do right by their company and by their people to kind of reinvent themselves. 
and COVID provides a, you know, a little bit of a push, again, uh, towards that goal. But at the end of the day, we have to remember, you know, why, why do we have management in companies to begin with? You know, there, there are certainly, um, you know, there needs to be leadership within any organization. But the reason that you have management in the first place is ultimately to extend the ability to impact positively your organization and those people. And so if you're, you know, if you're seeing people within your organization whose sole goal is to beat their people down, you've got the wrong person in there and you need to do something about it. And, you know, changing culture comes from the top, you know, no matter what size of the organization, you know, people, you know, and I've, you know, I've been in middle level management, I've been in upper level management, you know, I've been at lower levels you know, at various points in my career. And the reality is that, uh, you know, if you have bad management, it affects all the people uh, within the organization, it affects your organizational goals. So why would you, if you were aware of that, and maybe that's some of the problem, you know, let's, let's become more aware. Uh, but if you're aware of that, you need to do something about it. And that change is going to come from you and it has to come from you. If you're the CEO or the CIO or the CTO or the CFO or something, you know, at the leadership level, you need to make a difference. That is excellent point. And again, owning it, being accountable, taking responsibility, but also removing obstacles so that others can shine and actually um, do what they, they're here for, right? And accomplish exactly uh, why they're in organization in the first place. Um, with that in mind, I wanted to ask you, uh, obviously you are um, already had such a tremendous um, established successes and and accomplish so much what's next in the bucket list what are you start uh, striving to accomplish next what would be something that jeff is aiming to make magic happen either it's this year or just in general you know i i've always um tried to be empathetic because i i view you know my my desire to make a difference as being what most people probably want in their lives relative to their their jobs um but the other part of that, as, as you know, I've, I've now reached, you know, my late 30s. Go ahead, laugh. Late, late 30s. <laughs> and uh, many times I've been celebrated my 39th birthday, by the way, uh, multiple times. So, I, I, I can't agree more. Me too. <laughs> as, as I reach that, you know, I think about, you know, uh, to, your, to your point, you know, you think about legacy. Okay, so, you know what do you want to do you know how do you want to be perceived um you know how do you want to leave at the end of the day and we've you know we've all heard that you know you know when you when it's time when it's time for you to to leave the uh, you know the mortal coil as shakespeare says then uh, you know what are people going to say about you and what does your life mean and that's the legacy you know that i think we've talked about in the past and a lot of people think about it you know i guess a couple of things. I, I'll just say, a, you know, reiterate a couple of points and then get to specifically what do I want to do. But I have found over my career a couple of really simple, you know, uh, truths. One is small acts of kindness travel far, right? Mm -hmm. And That's beautiful. You know, when the when the room is dark, you know, go towards the brightest spot <laughs> that you can find, um, and ultimately be that light yourself. 
Um, and so as I, as I go into whatever the next chapter is here, um, I'm excited to, you know, you know, hopefully bring some of that philosophy, but also, you know, some of the learning and the experiences that I've gotten. So people don't have to get caught up in, in that. Although having said that, you know, I have two, two kids, as you know, and, uh, I remember thinking as a, as a new dad some years ago that, you know, I was going to help my kids, uh, avoid all the pitfalls that I could and the ones that I had gotten sucked into. And um, that doesn't really work. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, you know, your kids kind of got to go through their own path and their, their own yes. learning. And, uh, and I think it's true that in terms of companies and people as well. Uh, but for me personally, um, I want to be engaged uh, at a high level with uh, perhaps helping companies and, and, you know, leadership within those companies, you know, achieve their goals and perhaps, you know, sometimes having an objective outsider look at those, you know, what's working and what's not working with the organization. Um, from my consulting days, you know, I, I will tell you that we would take surveys when we'd walk in of the existing employees you know, for a number of different items and almost inevitably the leadership you know, we would we would survey them too with the same questions and the leadership and the the people who are you know the you know what we call them the mainline workers would be significantly apart in terms of how they viewed the organization and so i think some of what i'd like to do is try to uh, you know help companies build grow improve their organizations i mean honestly if there's one thing i can tie together in the various functionalities and the various industries I've worked in is over a period of time, you know, I have um, really focused on, on building, growing and improving, you know, operations, uh, working and strengthening strategic alliances and governing those alliances or managing those alliances and mitigating risk, which again, all of those take on multiple flavors at multiple times. But I think those are sort of the, the big bucket, if you will, to, to throw, if you're going to throw my career in the buckets, those are probably the three that I would think probably make the most sense. Mm. That is great because again, everybody watching and listening, treat life as experience, as a playing ground, as a acquiring a lot of skills, like look at how a job pivot how he shipped how he changed and as a result uh create a tremendous impact in so many industries and many companies and he's consistently pivoting right now so for everybody that are really going through this anxiety and stressors and because we really live in time of ambiguity and tremendous uncertainty right so i would i would like to if you don't mind just say what would be a piece of advice how did you on an individual as a man uh, who is also a breadwinner, provider, uh, who has this extra pressure to deliver all the time, right? Not only in arena and work, but in personal life and how the success is being crafted. What would you say, what would be one of your um, advices for them uh, or recommendations uh, in terms of um, to handle and navigate current complexities, ambiguities, and unknowns uh, as an anchor as they go through all this roller coaster rides? It's a great question. Again, you guys really good questions. But, uh, you know, I have a couple of responses and they're not necessarily uh, exactly the same path. But I would say number one is, you know, you need to understand that the world is 
never going to be, you know, a hundred percent perfect according to whatever your planet looks like or your world yes. looks like. There are going to be, you know, life, life tends to look more like a roller coaster than a uh, rocket ship ride from, from beginning to end straight up. You know, it tends to be, I describe it as more like a ball of string that's being played with by a cat. <laughs> so, 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 you know, uh, you know, make sure, I mean, uh, my advice, let's say to a younger person would be, you know, make sure you have some reserves, make yes. sure you understand yes. that today may not be the same as tomorrow, uh, which could be good or it could be bad. So a certain amount of resiliency is, is required. Uh, I think I told, shared this with you just uh, last night that um, when we were um, talking uh, at some business that my, my daughter, after going through a boot camp and who, you know, after her high school years, we kind of, kind of uh, beat heads a little bit as pretty much any teenager will with their parent. And uh, uh, she, we had, uh, we had breakfast one day and, she said, Dad, you know what we are? And it scared me because I didn't know what she was going to say. I thought it was something awful. And she was going to tell me I'm a horrible father or something. She said, you know what we are, Dad? We're resilient. <laughs> yeah, we had gone through we had gone through some of this that we talked about. We've gone through recessions, some you know, challenging times with regard to income and family situations. And so you need a certain amount of, I guess, you know, don't get too high during the high periods. Don't get too low during the low periods. And I guess the other piece of, you know, just general advice is do something, you know, to make you happy, you know, on a daily basis and do something to make somebody else happy on a daily basis. Uh, that's that small, you know, that pinpoint of light, if you will. Uh, you know, I'm, there's, we also, we also talked a little bit about this, but uh, there's a well-known poem by the poet uh, Robert Frost. And yes. it's the actual poem is called The Road Not Taken. It was written in 1915. So, you know, not exactly current, but it really is. Um, and uh, the poem discusses a man who's walking in the wood and there's a fork in the road. And uh, he ultimately makes a decision um, to take the one less traveled by and that that has made all the difference. Now, most people interpret that as being Okay, don't don't do what everybody else does, and that's one lesson you could draw from that. But that's probably not what Frost meant, because he was writing it uh, because you know, or inspired by a friend of his who couldn't make decisions to save his life. And when he finally <laughs> when he finally did make the decision, it was like then he worried about whether it was the right decision or not. And what I would counsel people is to say that. Again, and I, I said this, I think earlier is like, understand that, you know, in real time, we all have to make decisions based by the best information available. Uh, you know, your own life experiences, common sense, intuition, those things. And they all have a consequence. Actions have consequences. Yes. Yes. And we, you know, sometimes those are not foreseeable, but you can't not make decisions. And I would say that's a part of that, um, you know, resiliency. It's like, understand that you need to make a decision and that decision may be right it may be wrong it may be somewhere in between but you know you just have to understand that 
that no plan is perfect and you need to adopt. And, you know, that's part of the business leadership thing too. I mean, uh, I've worked with early stage companies. I've consulted with startups. I've been an angel investor in the tech field. And, you know, some of the things we always tell them is, you know, when you create a business plan, understand you need to modify that. So you can't just, you write a, you know, a 30 page business plan and, you know, use it for your deck to get money and then throw it in a drawer, never to be revisited again. I mean, life is about adjusting on the fly. <laughs> so that's my advice. You got to adjust on the fly. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.